Welcome to the EMDR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Roundson. And I'm Dr. Michelle Gottlieb. Well, Michelle, what do we have in store for our listeners today? You know, recently we've had a lot of people who I think have gotten trained recently or in the recent past or maybe more than the recent past. And they've had some similar questions. And it's making that transition from a talk therapy uh, clinician to an EMDR therapy clinician. And um, and how do, not only for them, I mean, they have to go through all the training, but how do they introduce this weirdo therapy that you and I love so much? How do we introduce it to their clients? Really good point, because EMGR is not a talk therapy. Right. Uh, and uh, most of our patients that come in have been in some form of talk therapy, DBT, CBT, processing sessions, CPD, all, all the stuff that's out there that you can do, it involves words. And EMDR therapy doesn't necessarily involve words. It doesn't have to. Uh, and so helping the client understand the difference between talk therapy and EMDR therapy, I sometimes say things like this. You've been doing talk therapy for so how many years or how many months? And words don't always capture or relieve the pain of trauma. In fact, sometimes... If you've noticed in your own experience, talking about it may make you feel better for a while, but it may not relieve the triggers that still come up in everyday life. And sometimes talking about it actually sensitizes. It makes it worse. EMDR is a non-talk therapy, and we use the brain's own healing mechanism built in by design to heal. And Michelle, I always use the analogy that we do in our trainings that our brain was made to heal itself. Right. Much like if you cut your finger and you go to your physician, he or she does not heal you. He or she simply removes the obstacles that prevent the finger from healing itself. It could be butterfly suture, antibiotics, um, tetanus shot, whatever. And it bandages up. And when you leave that doctor's office the finger continues to heal itself as the body was designed unless something else comes to prevent that, like infection being ripped open again. The brain was made to do the same thing, to heal itself. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, but the brain is made to heal itself unless something prevents it from doing the natural healing process. And I do a similar introduction to for my clients of saying things like, um, well, this isn't talk therapy, it's brain therapy. Um, And I say that the brain is designed to heal like every other part of the body. And the analogy I use is if you have a broken leg, the doctor may set it, may line it up correctly, but it's the body that actually does the work. And so what I tell my clients, what you and I need to do is stay out of the way and let your brain do its natural healing. We can help it if we need to. We need to just let it do its work. Yeah. Yeah, let it let it actually do what it was built to do. Right. I also will educate my, my patients, much like we do in the training. I actually say this to my patients all the time. I try to distinguish for them and define what trauma really is. Because as you know, so many of our patients will come in and say, I've never been traumatized. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we give them the ACE scale or something like that and realize that, oh, yeah, you have. He said, but I don't, I don't believe I've been traumatized. Well, I tell him, it's not a matter of belief. And I say, normal memory. 
works this way. And I use the example that we do in the training. I, you and I are in a car, Michelle, we're driving mm-hmm. to work, and we see, we witness up ahead of us in the, in the intersection, a collision. In that moment, we see the motion of it with our eyes, we hear it, the sound of the crash, the smell of the gas or oil, uh, the sudden shock in our own bodies, that hyperarousal, the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight responses, like that in that moment. And if things are working normally as the day goes by, we may still find ourselves triggering and reacting for a period of time and our brain ruminating, going over it again and again and again. That's the brain's attempt to desensitize the emotion that was felt. We may even avoid that intersection. But after a while, we may even dream about it. But after a while, a few weeks go by, we go through that intersection. And if our brain has done what it's meant to do, there's been no interruptions. We go through that intersection. I may look at you and I'll say, Michelle, is this that intersection where that bad wreck happened? And you say, yeah, yeah, I think it was. That was a terrible wreck. It's a terrible wreck. Because a bad event never becomes a good event. But what happens over time, the brain desensitizes the emotion around the bad event. So I can talk about the bad event in a narrative historical way. This is bad event that happened here. Traumatic memory gets stored in a hyperdrouse state like a bubble of isolated experience, the sight, sound, smells, physical sensation, and the strong emotion at the time, and also the age, the coping ability we had at the time of the incident. That's what makes trauma trauma. Not how big the event is, but how that gets stored in the nervous system. And I'm glad you said all of that, because one of the other common questions that new clinicians say is, well, how much of all this brain science do I need to tell my my clients? And what I let them know, first off, it's important that we as clinicians understand what we're doing. So there's brain science and there's new brain science coming out all the time. But it's not necessarily necessary mm-hmm. to explain it all to our clients. They don't necessarily want to know. Uh, like when I go see a surgeon, if I have to have a surgery, I'm, I really don't want my surgeon, I don't need my surgeon to tell me in exquisite detail, well, I could use this way of doing the surgery or this way of doing the surgery, or let me explain it to you on a cellular, cellular, cellular level why this is happening. I look to him for his expertise. When our clients come in, they want to, they want to use our expertise. They want to know what we think is right for them to heal, not for them to make the decision because they don't have the training we have. That's right. That's right. And making it simple, common, everyday language. You don't Very have to important. do the neurobiology mm-hmm. part. It may be important for the therapist to know, but it isn't necessary for the patient to know. Now, Michelle, I want to ask you a question. What's that? Well, you know, a lot of times in our trainings, one of the things that our trainees, the new EMDR therapists struggle with is the transitioning from their old talk therapy format to the EMDR therapy format. Right. And many of them come in, they feel incompetent to do this. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they feel awkward. They want to know how they can get their clients to do this without interrupting the, the rapport that's already been built through talk therapy. And I do it in a certain way, but I'd be curious to how you would like to address that. Well, one of the things I think is really important when we're doing that transition from you were a talk therapy client. Now we're, you're still working with me, but now we're going to do this this weirdo brain therapy stuff. As I'll say, you know, there's been a lot of research and this has been shown to be very effective. And while I was doing the training, I thought of you and I thought this could really be something that helps you get to the healing that you want to get to and explain that I'm going to read the script 
because that's going to make me a better therapist for you. And by the way, clients don't care if you read the script. What they care about is getting better. So, and I remind new clinicians during practicum, which is the clunkiest therapy you'll ever do. It's the worst session, EMDR therapy session you will ever do in your entire career as an EMDR clinician. Ever, you, ever, ever, ever since ever, graduate school. Right? Yes. And notice, even though it was so awful, your client still had a shift. There was still healing that happened. And if it could happen in that setting, oh, goodness, it's going to be fabulous in your office. So what I'm really doing is I'm reminding the clinician of all of this. Rapport is built not just with the ways you were taught in graduate school, which are all good ways, but it's also built because you're doing something to make the client feel better, to truly heal, and they will love you for that. You know, I, it's an excellent point, and the, the idea that many of our, our patients, we use, uh, you know, the zero, the 10 scale, the SUD scale mm-hmm. in EMDR therapy, and many of our patients, they live in a world of 8, 9, and 10, really high levels of disturbance, uh, sometimes all the time. And one of the things that I like to let the trainees know is that if you can drop that, if, if they're in a world of eight and you are able in your most incompetent way, drop that to a seven or six, that patient's going to think you walk on water and they won't even know if you screwed up the methodology because they haven't taken the training. Right. As we say all the time, EMDR is a robust methodology. You can screw it up a lot and people still get better. And so one part of that, of, of, again, the, the discomfort clinicians have of going from uh, typical talk therapy to EMDR therapy is as a client-centered therapist, I follow my client wherever they go. And now here I am directing them and telling them not to talk and, and telling them to you know stop here and go there. And that's very that transition is very uncomfortable for the clinician, maybe not for the client, but for the clinician. And when we talk about that with our participants, one of the things that I remind them is, again, check in with them and see if the client is getting better, which they are. They don't care. But it's reorienting them to the type of therapy we're doing. It is different. And if the client is feeling better, they won't need to talk. Now, having said that, there are some clients in some situations where they do need to be witnessed. They've, they've never, no one's ever seen them or heard them in their entire lives. That's different. But yes. you don't need, you don't need to hear everything because that is vicarious trauma for us, but they don't need to say anything. They'll, their brain actually will move faster if they're not talking. And the one thing that I remind clinicians of, which they tend to forget, EMDR therapy is very client-centered. It's extraordinarily client, client-centered. client It's where their brain goes. And that's so much more elegant than I can ever take them. And, you know, one of the things I, I will do with my patients, but I also do it with our trainees because it's useful for them to experience this. And as they have a client that's talking a lot and while they're doing the bilaterals, um, you know, we, we're not going to tell them, hey, shut up. We mm-hmm. don't do that. But, but we've trained them to talk, right? We've, we've trained them to talk. They're doing exactly what we have trained them to do in our old models, old exactly. paradigms. And now we're switching up and they don't know the new rules yet. And so what I'll often do with my patients and encourage clinicians to do that for their own uh, experience is to have the client talk 
and then stop and say, okay, let's do an experiment. How about over the next two or three sets, you remain completely quiet during the, the eye movements, bilateral stimulations. And we'll do that a couple of times. And let's compare the qualitative difference in your experience and see what happens. I've got often, a... often that's all that's necessary. Right. I have a quick story about that. Yeah. I had a, I had a client who was, she kept stopping the set very, very early, like 10, 15 passes, and she would stop the set. And she would tell me about what just happened. And I said, okay, hold on. Let's experiment. Let's try it my way. Why don't you wait till I stop the set and let's see what happens then? And she, doing it the standard protocol way, she was doing leaps and bounds of growing and healing as opposed to step-by-step growing and healing. And I think your example is an excellent one because it points out that basically the patient was doing what she had been trained to do. Right. That is to tell the therapist the step-by-step progression of their thinking process, their thinking process. And what we find in EMDR is that trauma is just not a thinking or cognitive process. It's, It's negative beliefs, it's emotion, it's sensations. And oftentimes the thinking part, the step-by-step part, which we do to try to structure their experience in other modalities, can be sped up and go to hyperspace, as in Star Wars fame, (laughs) um, hyperspace very quickly because, as you've already suggested, the brain goes much faster than words. So... You know, again, something that new clinicians often say is, I don't want to be rude to my client. You're not being rude by doing it this way, by saying, you know what, you just need to tell me that very last thing right when I stop the set. It can be one word. It can be one sentence. You know, tell me the whole thing. You're not being rude. What you're really doing is helping speed up their healing. And it's also important to remind them, and we use the metaphor of the train going down the track and the scenery going by, just being mindful and observing their own experience. They're not having to direct it. And that's the training shift also with the for the patient. They have been used to being very vigilant in, in, in talk therapy and moving down a track and describing everything. And what we're actually telling them to do is to sit back in the seat of their therapy process, let the train, that is the brain, take control, and they follow the brain. Go with where the brain goes. Observe where your own brain goes without judgment without censor, without direction. And those judgmental comments like, this is silly, I don't know, this doesn't have to do any with anything. But as they get into EMDR therapy, that which they thought was unimportant or insignificant may actually be very essential that the brain has put it together in a way other than cognitively structured. That's a wonderful learning experience for patients and for clinicians when they start out and they see that. And for clinicians. I I always tell my uh, participants, I used to make predictions in my own head about where they were going to, where the clients would end up. And I was always wrong. And where they ended up was so much more elegant than where I would have taken them. So, yeah. Okay. I have another one for you, Kurt, because it's following on on kind of the rude, being rude. Um, So uh, people have come in to, I know it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. I know it happens to our trainees all the time. I've done EMDR therapy before. It didn't work for me. Yes. How would you answer? I know how I would answer it. How would you answer it? Well, the first thing I do is I say, well, tell me what your EMDR therapist did when they did 
EMDR therapy with you. And uh, sometimes I'm totally shocked, Michelle, by hmm. the stories. Right. You know, uh, things like, oh, uh, I put on headphones, they t- turn these these beepers on, and you know what? Uh, I just talk with the beepers on. Uh, or put a headset on, I laid down on a couch, and I did this kind of free association thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, well, that's not EMDR therapy. Mm-hmm. And then I describe the difference for them to instruct them, to prepare them for the work. And I may even move them into what I call my reprocessing chair, you know, right. and show them and structure, just like like the mechanics, an early uh, view of the mechanics of EMDR therapy. And, I, and the number of times they've looked at me and said, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> and I say, well, that's because you didn't really have EMDR therapy. Right. And that's what I tell our trainees is, I mean, my... My statement when someone says that to me is like, like you haven't done it with me, so let's let's see what happens when you do it with me. Because I do standard this standard EMDR protocol, which is evidence based. There's tons of research for it. I know it works, as opposed to some of these non EMDR. I don't even want to call them interventions. You know, whatever. Um, and so to tell, so I want all of everyone listening who is a new person to be aware that. If you stick to the standard protocol, that which Francine did and that we have so much research about, it works. And if you get stuck, make sure you consult with someone um, but because it does work, which actually leads to the next thing is so many people, and it's natural because this is such an odd, different way of doing therapy, that you feel so unsure of yourself as a clinician that your fear Kurt, see if I'm saying this right. Your fear of doing EMDR therapy might be infecting your client's wish to do EMDR therapy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to say what I say all the time, because really what we're talking about is about clinician and patient buy-in, you know, buying into EMDR therapy. Right. So many of the modalities that are out there, there has to be a buy-in. You know, in hypnosis, there's a certain buy-in the patient has to make. Uh, but I tell people all the time, you've heard me say this, is that EMDR therapy is the antibiotics of psychotherapies. If you get an infection, you go to your physician, and that doctor gives you an antibiotic, says, take these pills four times a day. And you look at the bottle and say, doctor, I don't believe in, I don't buy into antibiotics. The doctor might look at you and say, I don't care, take the darn pills. There's no buy-in necessary. I know the science behind it. Your infection will heal. And so I tell people all the time, I don't buy into this. I don't think it'll work. I say, I don't care. Just follow my darn fingers. Hmm. So that, that for all the new clinicians out there, I want you to hear that. Do standard protocol. Do good work. And guess what? They're going to get better anyway, whether they believe in it or not. Right. Um, we are about out of time. Um, starting to do EMDR therapy as a clinician, it is such a huge paradigm shift. It is okay if you're uncomfortable. It's okay if you're unsure. It's way okay to read from the scripts. It's also okay to get consultation. It's okay to get support and help. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, community out there to help you. So make sure you take care of yourself in the process. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, If you want more information about who and what we are, emdrprofessionaltraining.com. And we're so glad you're doing the work that you're doing. Yes, thank you all for listening.